all stuff. Oh, sorry, this is section 11, states of matter and mixture, starting on page 97. All stuff is made of particles, molecules, ions or atoms. The forces between these particles can be weak or strong, depending on whether it's a solid, liquid or a gas. States of matter depend on the forces between particles. The three states of matter are solids, liquids and gases. There are strong forces of attraction between particles which hold them in fixed positions in what's called a lattice arrangement. You can imagine a picture with lots of little, like a ball pole with lots of little circles. In solids, the circles are all tightly packed together in rows. The particles don't move from their positions, they're in fixed positions, and they don't move, so solids are able to keep a definite shape and volume. The particles in a solid don't have much energy. They can only really vibrate. The hotter the solid becomes, the more the particles vibrate, and that's what causes solids to expand slightly when heated. In liquids, the particles are arranged in a slightly more haphazard way with little distances between them. There is some force of attraction between the particles. They're free to move past each other, although they do still tend to stick together. Liquids don't keep a definite shape and will flow to fill the bottom of a container, although they do keep the same volume. For any given substance in the liquid state, its particles have more energy than in a solid state, although less energy than the gas state. The particles are constantly moving with random motion. Remember the solids, they just vibrated, but in a liquid they're moving in a random way. The hotter the liquid gets, the faster they move, and this causes liquids to expand when heated. In gases, there's just a few little particles that are quite well separated, moving around a lot. There are next to no forces of attraction between the particles. They're free to move. They travel to straight, in straight lines and only interact when they collide. So gases don't keep a definite shape or volume and will always fill any container. And when particles bounce off the walls of a container, they exert a pressure on the walls. So gas will escape from a container if it isn't airtight. For any given substance in the gas state, its particles will have more energy than that in a solid state or the liquid state. The particles move constantly with random motion. The hotter it gets the in the gas, the faster they move. Gases either expand when heated or their pressure increases. This, of course, is why heating up things actually helps them change their state. If you heat up a solid, the exterior particles move more until eventually they start to separate and become a liquid and so on and so forth. This means that by adding or taking away energy from a substance, you can convert it from one physical state to another. So if we imagine turning a solid into a liquid, that process is called melting. A liquid turning into a solid, freezing. A liquid turning into a gas, evaporating. A gas cooling down and becoming a liquid, condensing. A solid jumping straight into a gas, called subliming. At certain temperatures, particles have enough energy to break free, and that's when they melt and a solid turns to a liquid. As I said, the particles are vibrating more, weakening the forces, making the solid expand, and when it's heated enough, they gain enough energy to turn into a liquid. When a liquid is heated, again, the particles are getting lots and lots of energy. The particles move faster, they break the bonds, and they become a gas. 
And of course, the reverse is true. When we take energy out or we make something cooler, then the reverse process happens. Atoms are rearranged during chemical reactions. Chemical changes are different to physical changes. Chemical changes happen during chemical reactions. So a physical change, for example, is heating up or cooling down. Chemical changes is, acting re is adding reactants and creating new products. This happens during chemical reactions when bonds between atoms break, atoms change places and form different substances from what you started off with called reactants and products. Atoms from substances you start off with mess about with reactants and form different substances called products. Now, physical changes like heating up are quite easy to reverse. You just cool it down again. The chemical change is often hard to reverse. You could be asked in the exam to use data to work out what state a substance might be under certain conditions. So it might tell you that substance A has a melting point of 801 degrees centigrade and a boiling point of 1413. If it told you it was, say, a thousand, then you know that it's melted, but not boiled, so it would be a liquid. We move on now to look at purity. This is one of those special scientific words. Pure substances contain only one thing. In chemistry, a substance is pure if it's made up of a single element or compound. If you've got more than one compound present or different elements of a compound, you've got a mixture. So fresh air, you might think of that as being nice and pure, but chemically it's impure because it's got a mixture of nitrogen, oxygen, argon, carbon dioxide, water and other gases. Lots of mixtures are really useful. Alloys, for example, steel is a mixture of uh, two different types of metal and that can be really handy. But sometimes in reactions, chemists need a pure sample of a substance. You can test a substance for purity using melting points, because every pure substance has a specific sharp melting point and boiling point. Pure ice melts at zero degrees centigrade. Pure water boils and turns into gas steam at 100 degrees centigrade. So if you compare the actual melting point of a sample substance with the expected value, you'll be able to tell if it's pure or not. Because if a substance is a mixture, it won't melt or boil sharply at the exact percent, at the exact sort of degrees that you'd expect. If it's a mixture, it'll melt over a range of temperatures rather than have a sharp single melting point. Impure substances, like mixtures, will melt over a range of temperatures because they're mixtures. To measure the melting point of a substance, you can use melting point apparatus, a piece of kit that allows you to heat up a small sample of a solid very slowly so you can observe and record the exact temperature that it melts at. If you don't have melting point apparatus, you can use a water bath and a thermometer instead. So in an example, Adol's teacher gave him samples of four powdered solids and they all boiled at different temperatures. A brought it exactly 82, C exactly 101, but B it brought it at a range of temperatures from 72 to 79. Because it boils at a range of temperatures rather than at a sharp specific temperature, you can tell that B must have been a mixture or the impure substance. Remember, if you boil or melt at a specific temperature, you're pure. 
If every time you do it, it comes out a slightly different temperature, it's a range of temperatures, you're impure or a mixture. Distillation. Distillation is used to separate mixtures that contain liquids. We're going to look at simple and fractional. Simple distillation separates out solutions. So, for example, you could get pure water from seawater. Pour your sample of seawater into the distillation flask. You've got some apparatus, which has got a flask, a sort of a tube, and then leading down into a, a beaker. You connect the bottom end of a condenser to a cold tap using rubber tubing and run cold water through the condenser to keep it cool. The condenser is the tube that runs from the flask to the beaker. Gradually heat the distillation flask so it will evaporate. So your seawater is in the distillation flask evaporating. The vapour formed will pass into the condenser tube and we're keeping that cool, remember, so it will condense and turn back into liquid and flow down into the beaker. And you'll end up with just salt in the flask and pure distilled water in the beaker. That works if you've got um, substances with very different boiling points. But if you've got a mixture of liquids with similar boiling points, well, we're going to need something like fractional distillation. So if we've got a mixture of liquids, we can separate those using fractional distillation. Pour your mixture into the flask. Attach a fractionating column and condenser. Heat the flask. Different liquids will have different boiling points and evaporate at different temperatures. Liquids with lowest boiling points evaporate first. When the temperature on a thermometer matches the boiling point of this liquid, it will reach the top of the column. Liquids with higher boiling points start to evaporate, but the column is cooler towards the top, so they only get part way up before condensing and running back down the flask again. When you've collected your first liquid, raise the temperature, and the next one will turn into gas, reach the top, and get out again. Filtration and crystallisation. If you've mixed a solid with a liquid, it should be quite easy to separate them out again. Filtration is one method used to separate an insoluble solid from a liquid. So this might just be a way of getting coffee out of uh, coffee granules, um, out of a coffee cup or little bits of gravel out of a bowl of water. You simply put a filter paper into a cone, pour your substance, your liquid with the insoluble solid, solids, through the filter paper, through the cone, into a beaker, the solids will be left, the solid impurities will be left in the filter paper and the water will trickle through. It's very much like using a sieve in cooking. Crystallisation is needed to separate a soluble solid from a solution. Pour your solution with a soluble solid. This could be, for example, uh, a glass of water with some um, dissolved sugar in it. Pour your solution into an evaporating dish and gently heat the solution. Some of the water will start to evaporate and the solution will get more concentrated. Once some of the water has evaporated or when you see crystals start to form, remove the dish from the heat and leave the solution to cool. The salt or sugar or whatever it is that dissolved in your liquid will start to form crystals 
because it's insoluble in the cold, highly concentrated solution. Filter the crystals out of the solution, leaving them in a warm place to dry. So you might need to choose the right purification method to separate out solids from liquids. We move now over the page onto something called chromatography. Chromatography is all to do with a mobile phase and a stationary phase. Chromatography is a method used to separate a mixture of soluble substances and identify them. Lots of different types of chromatography, but they all have these two phases. A mobile phase where the molecules can move. This is always a liquid or gas. A stationary phase where the molecules can't move. This would be a solid or a very thick, very viscose liquid. The components in the mixture separate out as the mobile phase moves over the stationary phase. They all end up in different places in the stationary phase. For each component in your mixture, you'll end up with one spot on your chromatogram. So they're separating out and all ending up in different phases in the stationary phase. This happens because each of the chemicals in a mixture will spend different amounts of time dissolved in the mobile phase and stuck to the stationary phase. How fast a chemical moves through the stationary phase depends on how it distributes itself between the two phases. In paper chromatography, the mobile phase is a solvent. The stationary phase is a piece of filter paper. Here's the method for setting it up in a practical. Draw a line near the bottom of the paper, called the baseline. Use a pencil, because pencils are insoluble and it won't dissolve when the solvent is lowered into the substance. Put a spot of the mixture to be separated on the line. Put some of the solvent into a beaker and dip the bottom of the paper, but not the spot, so don't go quite so far as your line and spot into the solvent. Put a watch glass on top of the beaker to stop any solvent from evaporating away. The solvent will start to move up the paper. Imagine it's a bit like a blotting paper. The solvent moves up the paper and when the chemicals in the mixture dissolve in the solvent, they will move up the paper too. So you'll see the different chemicals in the sample separate out, forming spots at different levels on the paper. Remove the paper from the beaker before the solvent reaches the top. Mark the distance the solvent has moved in pencil. The amount of time the molecules spend in each phase depends on two things. How soluble they are in the solvent, how attracted they are to the stationary phase. Molecules with a higher solubility in the solvent and less attracted to the paper will spend more time in the mobile phase than the stationary phase so they'll be carried further up the paper. Let me say that again. If a molecule is highly soluble and less attracted to the paper, more time in the mobile phase, and you'll find that substance higher up the paper. Now we look at interpreting chromatograms. Remember, the paper, effectively, is our chromatogram, and we've now got a paper with a whole load of spots on it 
at different levels from our experiment a moment ago. The paper is called a chromatogram. If you know that you have chemicals in your mixture that are colourless, such as amino acids, you might have to spray the chromatogram with a chemical called a locating agent so that you can actually see the spots, a bit like invisible ink. You need to know how to work out the R with the little F values for the spots on a chromatogram. An RF value is the ratio between the distance travelled by the substance and the distance travelled by the solvent. R equals distance travelled by solute divided by distance travelled by solvent. To find the distance travelled by the solute, measure from the baseline to the centre of your spot. Chromatography is often carried out to see if a certain substance is present at all in a mixture. You run a pure sample of a substance that you think might be in your mixture alongside a sample of the mixture. If the sample of the pure sample has the same R as one of the spots in your mixture, then it's likely that they are the same and you did have that substance in your mixture. Chemists sometimes run samples of pure substance called standard reference materials next to a mixture. You can also use chromatography to do a purity test. A pure substance won't be separated by chromatography, it'll move as one blob. See, a mixture, things are going to go at different locations, different rates, depending on their solubility and their attraction to the paper and all of that. And so you get different spots at different levels. But if a substance is pure, you're just going to get one spot at one level. Final part of section 11 is water treatment. In the UK there are a number of sources of water which can be purified to produce us with what's called potable water, i.e. drinkable water. We get our water from surface water like lakes, rivers, reservoirs, groundwater from rocks that trap water underground called aquifers, wastewater from water that's been contaminated e.g. a byproduct from some industrial processes, but we can treat the wastewater to make it potable, which might be better than just throwing the water away. Water is purified in water treatment plants. The water that comes out of your taps doesn't just come straight from the source, i.e. the rocks or the lake or whatever, it's got to be purified. How much purification will be needed will depend, of course, on the source. Groundwater from aquifers, that's the rocks underneath the ground, usually quite pure. But wastewater, you can imagine, is pretty impure. And surface water in lakes and reservoirs also needs a lot of treatment. But wherever it comes from, we're going to have to purify it before we can actually drink it. So there'll be a number of processes. Firstly, filtration. Remember, filtration was to get the solid bits out of the liquid. And that'll get only solid gunk. Then we move on to sedimentation. Iron sulphate or aluminium sulphate is added to the water. This makes fine particles clump together and settle at the bottom of the water. And then, of course, we can get the water off it. And finally, chlorination. Chlorine is bubbled through. This kills harmful bacteria and other microbes and makes it okay to drink. Now, we've already seen that you can distill pure water from the seawater. Remember, we heated it up and the, the salt stayed at the bottom. And in some very dry countries like Kuwait, they actually do that. They use seawater to distill and produce drinking water. 
but it's really expensive because you need lots of energy to heat up a lot of seawater to distill into quite small quantities of fresh water. So you don't really do that unless you have to. Any water used in chemistry must be pure. Lots of chemistry experiments involve using water. So for experiments that involve mixing or dissolving something in water, you should use pure, known as distilled, or sometimes called deionized water. Deionized water is water that's had all the ions, such as calcium, iron and copper, that we might get in normal tap water, removed. These ions, they might be harmless in tap water, but they are interfering with reactions and your water is not pure enough and might give you a false result. What do you call the process of a substance changing from a liquid to a solid? 5. What is the chemical definition of purity? 6. Why isn't air considered a pure substance? 7. If a substance melts over a range of temperatures, is it likely to be pure or a mixture? 9. We've missed out eight. Where is the hottest part of a fractionating column? Top or bottom? 10. How do you carry out filtration? 11. What separation technique should you use to separate a soluble solid from a solution? 12. Explain what the terms mobile phase and stationary phase mean in the context of chromatography. What is the formula to work out R little f value of a substance from a chromatogram? Just three left here, section 11. Name three different sources of water that can be made potable. Name three processes that are used to make water potable. What is deionized water? Now the answers. The three states of matter are solid, liquid, gas. Particles and forces in a solid. Strong forces of attraction between particles, holding them in fixed positions. They don't move. And they don't have much energy. They can only vibrate when made hot. What happens to the forces in the particles in a solid as you melt it? They vibrate more. That weakens the forces that hold the solid together. It makes the solid expand. It gains more energy and turns into liquid. What do you call the process of a substance changing from a liquid to a solid? Freezing. What is the chemical definition of purity? It means that a substance is made up of a single element or compound. Why isn't air considered a pure substance? 
because it isn't made up of a single element. It's made up of things like nitrogen, oxygen, argon, and other gases. If a substance melts over a range of temperatures, it'll be a mixture. Where is the hottest part of a fractionating column? I've got to look that one up. Maybe you know it, I don't know. At the bottom. The hottest part of a fractionating column is at the bottom. Carrying out filtration, that was a bit like a sieve, wasn't it? You pour your liquid with solid bits in through a filter paper in a cone and water will come out the bottom. Which evaporation technique to separate a soluble solid from a solution? That was crystallization, where you gently heat a substance up in an evaporating dish and the solid like salt or whatever that's dissolved in your water will stay there whilst the water evaporates. Mobile phase and stationary phase, what do they mean? Mobile phase is where the molecules can move, always a liquid or gas. Stationary phase where molecules can't move, a solid or maybe a very thick liquid. The formula for working out the R little f, distance travelled on the chromatography paper, so distance travelled by solute divided by distance travelled by solvent. Three different sources of water that can be made potable. I wonder if you know them. Surface water. Groundwater, that was aquifers, rocks. Wastewater. Three processes for purifying water. Filtration, sedimentation, chlorination. What is deionized water? Deionized water was water which they'd removed ions from. So they're 